This is Lecture 1 of Joseph Goldstein's course on Essential Buddhism at the Naropa Institute in Boulder, Colorado on July 16, 1974. Stop by the Naropa office if you'd like it. It's just a, the description of the course is not much, but there is a, um, a list of books which are recommended if anybody would like to read them. So you might pick it up at the Naropa office. People are taking it for credit. Okay. Toward the end of the week or next week we can discuss what you should do. Does anybody have any questions while we're just waiting for people to come? About anything? <laughs> As opposed to non-essential Buddhism. <laughs> Most certainly. That's going to be all of the discussion, most of the discussion is going to evolve about how it relates to the practice and there's going to be meditation instruction and an hour of the class will be in meditation. Just like that sign says. <laughs> but there'll be some talk. <laughs> continuation of last session or is it going to be starting back where we were <coughs> mindfulness and all that. the meditation instruction is going to start again <coughs> anybody who, who took the instruction last session can just continue you know from from wherever they got to mm-hmm. but we'll start again with the instructions mm-hmm. what's your background I studied some philosophy. I was in the Peace Corps in Thailand, and that's why I got into Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I came back and tried to do a retreat, and almost went crazy. I <laughs> figured <laughs> <laughs> that I needed a teacher, so I went to India to look for a teacher, and I found a person who teaches the kind of stuff that I'm going to be teaching here. I met a teacher in India who teaches this kind of insight meditation. We pass in a meditation, and over a period of seven years, I was I was with him studying. That's about it. As you will see, that does not mean anything at all. <laughs> you know. He asked me if I'm a Buddhist. <laughs> It won't conflict. The, the course is going to be set up more or less as follows. 
There's going to be about a 45-minute talk about things mostly relating to the meditation experience and some of the basic teachings of the Buddha. Then there'll be a discussion for about 45 minutes, just questions, and, and then there'll be meditation instruction and an hour of meditating. The, the kind of uh, meditation we're going to be doing is essentially the same thing that Rinpoche is teaching, although somewhat systematically more developed. Okay? He, he, was, he was giving the beginning of the practice without really laying out uh, how it develops, how it expands, right? just with the, the awareness of the breath. This particular technique of developing insight by the end of the five weeks will encompass all objects of mind and body in the field of awareness, although we'll be starting with the breath. So you can just do what you feel comfortable with. Okay. You know, if you'd like to come closer, those of you in the back, there's plenty of room here. great void. There's an old prophecy said to be Tibetan that when the great iron bird is flying in the sky, the Dharma is going to come to the west. The great iron bird has been flying now for a while. And it's clear that the Dharma is coming to the west. There's a lot of flourishing of Dharma activity primarily in this country, but all over, all over Europe and Canada now. It's important to try and understand what the word Dharma means, so that we can get some clear perspective about this, this flourishing of activity now. <coughs> Dharma is a Sanskrit word, and its most general meaning is that of the law or the way things are, the way things are happening, the Tao, the process of things, all of that is the Dharma. How things are happening. There's also a more specific meaning of the, of the word Dharma, and it is each of the discrete psychic and physical elements which make up our being. All of the different elements of matter in our body are called dharmas. Each of the elements of mind, thoughts, <coughs> visions, emotions, all the elements of our mind, our personality, each of them are called dharmas. So not only does dharma mean each of these elements which comprise our being, 
but also the laws governing them, the laws governing their process. The task of all spiritual work is to explore the Dharma, right? to uncover, to, to penetrate into the nature of the Dharma within us. That is to explore all of the different elements of mind and body, and also to discover, to explore how they are all working in process, the relationships of them. Exploring, discovering the Dharma within ourselves, that's, that's the spiritual task. There is one quality of mind which is the very basis for that kind of exploration, for that kind of opening up to ourselves. And that attitude of mind is called bare attention. That is, paying attention to what is happening without judging and without commenting and without evaluating and without choosing and without discriminating without laying our projections about how we would like things onto what is happening, but rather a very detached, choiceless awareness, sitting back and observing the passing show. That, that attitude of mind is very powerful because it frees us from our, from our past conditioning, from our past biases, and it enables us to see things as they are. In Suzuki Roshi's book, Zen Mind, <coughs> Beginner's Mind, he said that the purpose of studying Buddhism is not to study Buddhism at all, but to study oneself. Through the quality of bare attention, we're not learning any doctrines, we're not, we're not conceptualizing about any teachings, but rather directing our attention onto the mind-body process so that we can begin to see, so, to experience how things are happening in us, so that we can experience the nature of our mind-body and how they're working through this quality of bare attention. That attitude of mind is, is expressed very beautifully in an old Zen haiku, which was written by, by some Zen master. The old pond, a frog jumps in, plop. <laughs> plop. Not Oh, what a beautiful day it is, and the sound of the frog in the water is so heavenly, and none of that. A simple, direct experience of <coughs> what it was that happened. Right? Not, not long conceptualizations about it. Rather, the full awareness of the experience in the moment. <coughs> the old pond, the frog jumps in, plop. That's bare attention. And that's, how we, that's the quality of mind which we have to cultivate 
in order to see with that kind of clarity what it is that's happening in ourselves. When this quality of mind is well developed, when it's well cultivated, it effects very many changes in our way of living. <coughs> not, through, not through any program, but rather through the, through the cultivation of this kind of choiceless, detached observation. First of all, it grounds us very much in the present moment. A lot has been said and written about be here now. Be here now. But how to do it? <coughs> By cultivating bare attention. Simply sitting back and observing what it is that's happening in the moment without judgment and without evaluation. We're very much grounded in the present instead of as we usually are, fantasizing about the future, reminiscing about the past. It's very much that, that clear state of mind which is experiencing fully, in the moment, what it is that's happening. Bare attention also brings a very great rest for the mind. It's a very restful state. Usually we're involved in clinging and grasping at the pleasant things that happen. Right? Pleasant people, pleasant situations, pleasant objects, pleasant states of mind. Attachment to the pleasant. Condemning the unpleasant. Having aversion for it, wanting to push it away. Clinging and condemning, clinging and condemning all day long. It's very tiring. It's a very unbalanced state of mind causing great weariness. When we've cultivated bare attention towards what is happening in us and around us, the mind is no longer involved in this clinging and condemning. It's just the full experience without judgment of what it is that's happening. So it becomes very restful. In fact, during periods of intensive meditation, in advanced stages, a very common experience is for people to have very, very diminished needs for sleep. And in some cases, yogis go for days without sleep, not feeling tired at all, because their mind is in this state of balance, not reacting to everything that's coming, but simply observing it. It's very restful. Okay, so bare attention, it grounds us in the present. It puts the mind into a very restful <coughs> place. It also becomes effortless. When it's well cultivated, that, that quality of bare attention is working by itself. Nothing to do. It's all unfolding effortlessly. And that's what's meant when people like Krishnamurti say that there is nothing to do, simply be aware, right? nothing special to do. And from the place he's talking from, that's, 
that's perfectly true. The awareness, that quality of bare attention, is just happening by itself. But for most of us who do not start out at that place, in the beginning it takes a great effort for it to become effortless. For most people, it does not drop down as a gift from heaven, this quality of awareness. It's a mental quality that has to be cultivated. It's as if you wanted to sit and learn to play the piano. You sit down and you take a few lessons and you <coughs> practice, and in the beginning, it's very difficult, and the fingers don't move easily, and the sounds are terrible, and you practice and you practice, and the fingers start moving more proficiently. The sounds get more and more beautiful. At a certain point, there is no longer any difference between the playing and the practice. You sit down and you play, and the playing itself is the practice. You have so integrated that proficiency into your life. It's exactly the same way with this choiceless awareness, with bare attention. In the beginning, it takes an effort. We have, to, we have to cultivate to develop that quality. And there are many gaps, and a lot of struggles, and a lot of hindrances. But as we practice day after day after day, practicing this quality of awareness, it gets easier and easier until it starts working by itself. And then there's no effort required to be aware. It has become fully integrated into, into our consciousness. So the whole direction of the practice is very much towards the state of effortless awareness. But that's a state that has to be cultivated. We must make the effort to reach the effortlessness. Also, bear attention. This, this sitting back and observing the flow of things is very universally applicable, which means that it's not just when we sit for a half an hour or an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening Meditation is at that time, and the whole rest of the day, we go about forgetful. There's not so much point in that. There is no time and no situation when awareness is not appropriate. Whether we're sitting, or standing, or lying, or walking, or working, or talking, or eating, engaged in whatever activity we may happen to be doing in the moment, awareness is appropriate. We should cultivate that state of bare attention on all objects, on all situations, on all states of mind, so that we begin to wake up to who we are, to what we're doing, so that we can see what's happening. The cultivation of bare attention has very much to do with the quality of listening. Right? Listening to what's happening. Perhaps some of you have sometimes sat by the side of a river right, and began to listen to the sound of the river. At first it, it's <coughs> one big rush of a sound. Right? 
one, one big sound that we're hearing. But you sit very quietly, you listen and you listen. And slowly, in that one big sound, you begin to hear many, many, many different sounds. Right? The mind begins to pick up very fine, fine qualities of that sound of the river flowing. It's exactly the same way when we begin to listen to ourselves. At first it appears that there's one being here, one self, one I. As we begin to listen to our minds, to our bodies, we begin to hear very, very many things happening in this being. It's not, it is not one entity which is going throughout life, but a flow of forces, a flow of elements. And as we listen with a very, with a very calm, quiet, detached, attentive mind, we can experience on very, very microscopically subtle levels everything that is happening in this process. All through the cultivation of this quality of awareness, of bare attention. Sitting back and listening to what's happening. Not adding anything to the flow, not projecting anything onto it, not expecting that it should be one way rather than another. Rather experiencing fully as it comes, as it arises. Choiceless awareness. The wisdom that comes out of that state of mind has to do with understanding <coughs> the inherent characteristics of all existence. The characteristics of all processes of mind and body. And what these characteristics are, bring, when they're understood, they bring the mind to a very great state of balance when they're experienced. What are these three characteristics that, that are inherent in all conditioned phenomena? in the mind, in the body, internally, externally, they all share in these. The first is that everything is impermanent. There is not a single element to be found any place within this, within this process that is permanent. The elements of matter are arising and passing away. The elements of mind are arising and passing away. Consciousness itself, the knowing faculty, is arising and passing away at each moment. There is no one who's sitting back and observing it, no entity behind it all. It's all this flow of process. Everything impermanent, everything in flux, nothing to hold on to. When we begin to experience this flow of impermanence in ourselves on deeper and deeper levels, that's when the mind begins to let go, to stop clinging, to stop being attached, because it sees everything as arising and vanishing in the instant. There is nothing to hold on to. It's like trying to grasp a bubble on water. As soon as you grasp it, 
it bursts, it vanishes. All the elements that comprise our being, very, very much share this characteristic of impermanence, of arising and passing away in the moment. The second characteristic of all conditioned phenomena is that precisely because they are all impermanent, they are all inherently unsatisfactory. Unsatisfactory in the sense that they are incapable of being a source of lasting happiness, of completion, of perfection. Something which is in its nature momentarily impermanent cannot possibly be the cause of any kind of permanent happiness because that cause itself is arising and vanishing moment to moment. So people who make a big investment in this, in this flow of phenomena as being the cause of their happiness are destined to very great suffering. As an example, there are some people who are very attached to the happiness associated with, with their bodies, right? to the pleasures they get out of their body. And their whole lives revolve about cultivating that cause of happiness. It is inevitable that having taken birth, the body is going to get old and diseased and decay and die and there is no way that any one of us will escape ending up as a corpse. It is inevitable, it's part of the law. For someone who has invested in this body as being a cause for their, for their eternal happiness, in the process of decay, of dissolution, there's going to be very great pain involved. And that example can apply to anything that we're very attached to, right? Trying to hold on to some state, some situation, some person, some thing which we think is going to be the cause of our permanent happiness, our permanent well-being. It's impossible. It, it is not in harmony with the laws of the Dharma, with the laws of nature. That's what's meant by the characteristic of unsatisfactoriness. Because it's all impermanent. The last characteristic of all existence, which is the very essence of what the Buddha taught, the very heart of the Buddha's teachings, is that in this whole process of mind and body, There is nowhere to be found anything which can be called a self, or an I, or me, or mine, because it is all impermanent. There is nothing which lasts even a moment. A very rapid arising and passing away of all phenomena, mental and material. 
there is no entity which abides in that process which is experiencing it. No one behind the process. Did you say there is no soul? There is no abiding, constant, permanent entity of any kind whatsoever. It is all in process, all changing. But this is the great conditioning, this concept of I, of self, of soul, of me, of mine. This conditioning is very powerful in us. And very much of the meditation practice and all, all spiritual work involves seeing things as they are. That is not projecting concepts onto the process, but just sitting back and observing them. And in this process of observation, of bare attention, all these three characteristics are revealed. Whether one knows about them or doesn't know about them, or whether, whether they're believed in or not believed in, it's irrelevant because it's not a conceptual understanding. It's a very intuitive experience of the nature of things that comes when the mind is silent. And it's only in that silence of mind that the development of wisdom can happen. Right? True understanding of the nature of things. And so very much of the meditation practice is precisely in developing that silent awareness of mind so that we can, we can begin to see how things are working, not how we would like them to be, or how we think they should be, but just observing things as they are. Bare attention makes possible this growth of wisdom, and it happens when the mind has achieved a very great balance not clinging, not condemning, not identifying part of the process as being I. Just choiceless observation. This balance of mind is very well expressed by the Taoist symbol of the yin and yang. It's very, the mind is very receptive in its choicelessness. Right? Taking whatever comes as part of the flow and observing it. Very receptive mind, very open, very soft. The mind is very creative in the sense of being very alert, very actively attentive. It's a very luminous consciousness in which, in which this quality of awareness is developed. And this balance of mind that comes when this receptivity is co-joined with this alert attentiveness, the integration of yin and yang within our own minds, it's in that balance that we begin to see things clearly. Really observing the, the, the flow of our mind-body process. It's important to understand 
that wisdom does not come from any particular object, any particular state. We're not striving to attain anything special. It's in the balance of mind and the observation of the process of things <coughs> that wisdom arises. Also Suzuki Roshi, he devoted one chapter in his book calling it nothing special. There is nothing special in our mind, in our body, in the way things are happening. All things are equally <coughs> impermanent. So there's no special thing to want to, to attain or to grasp to, to grasp at or to hold on to. Nothing special at all. The objects of awareness are not important. Whatever comes as part of the flow is fine. It's the quality of mind which is observing them that is important, that balance of mind. So there's no, there's no special desirability to have lots of far-out experiences, like to, be, to be levitating off the ground or to, to astral travel or many of the things that can happen or might happen. They are all nothing special, all more things happening all subject to the same laws of impermanence. What we want to do is to let go of everything, not identify with any state whatsoever. To become free on all sides, not, not to get attached even by golden chains to anything that's happening. Sometimes some people have the idea that this awareness is appropriate when we sit or maybe do the walking meditation and not the rest of the time. And my <coughs> teacher tells a very appropriate story of the necessity to be in this state of awareness all the time. It seems that a monk was meditating out in the jungle someplace and this man-eating tiger comes up and grabs him and is, is about to eat him up. And he, the tiger grabbed the monk by, by his feet. He couldn't get away. He was, he was caught already by the tiger. The monk was very wise. He, he had heard the teachings and understood and practiced. There was nothing he could do. So he just abided in that place of awareness. And as the tiger is eating up his leg, He's just aware, painting, 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 staying very aware of what's happening, not condemning it, not, not, not getting involved, not identifying with it, merely observing the process. By the time the tiger got to his knee, he had reached the first stage of enlightenment. Right? <laughs> his mind was so clear. The tiger goes on eating, and he's eating up his leg. By the time he got to his waist, second stage. <laughs> Tiger's eating more, third stage. By the time the tiger got to the heart, he was fully enlightened. Right? There is no time at all and no circumstance <laughs> in which we should not be aware, not be mindful. 
Enlightenment can happen at any moment. <coughs> so if you happen to be outside and caught by a man-eating tiger, <laughs> stay mindful. There are two qualities of mind, two factors of mind, which have to be cultivated in order to develop this state of bare attention. The first is the factor of concentration. Concentration means one-pointedness of mind. The ability of the mind to stay on a single object. You put the mind here, you say stay there, it just stays. Right? It does not waver. And the example is given of a candle flame which is in a windless place. The flame of the candle is not flickering. It's just staying steady because there's no wind. Concentration is exactly that same steadiness of mind. The mind which has been trained to stay on an object without wavering, without flickering. Some degree of concentration <coughs> is absolutely essential for the development of awareness. The mind that is very scattered, that cannot stay on an object, it is very difficult to develop any kind of penetrating insight. <coughs> we need that strength and steadiness of mind to begin to observe how things are happening. So the factor of concentration is part of the, of the meditation practice to develop that quality of mind of one-pointedness. It is indispensable, but it is not enough, it is not sufficient. A person can develop very strong samadhi, or concentration, very high states. His mind becomes so fixed on the object, it's absorbed into it, goes into a trance-like state, or jhana, or samadhi level said to be very blissful, very ecstatic, out of the body. It's possible to reach very high states of consciousness, cosmic consciousness, God consciousness, right? universal mind, all through the power of that one-pointedness. But there is a very great liability to being attached to the bliss and to identify with that whole particular process. My teacher was, was uh, trained and then taught in Burma for a while. And he had come to the center one 12-year-old boy whose samadhi was extraordinary, just as a young kid. Evidently he had done a lot of work in the past. <laughs> 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 and my teacher trained him in the samadhi practice, in the concentration practice. And he reached th this level of, of concentration, of samadhi, called universal consciousness. Right? Of, uh, an extraordinary attainment, very high, very high degree of concentration. And he came down from wherever that place is, and he was asked what, what had happened, what was it like? And he said, I'm God, because my consciousness encompasses everything. There's nothing which is not part of me. Right? Universal consciousness. That's a very nice place to hang out, I'm sure. 
one can become God in that sense, expanding one's consciousness to include the entire universe. It is not the end. It is not freedom. It's a very powerful state of mind, very extraordinary, extraordinary, but still part of the wheel, still processes going on, still impermanent. The development of concentration by itself can lead, when very well developed, to states of mind like that. That is not wisdom. That is strength and power of mind. <coughs> wisdom comes from understanding the process of things, not from attaining to any special state. It's through the development of, of this second factor of mind, which must be must be cultivated along with concentration that makes the growth of wisdom possible. And that's the factor of mindfulness. Mindfulness means noticing what each object is as it arises, not allowing the mind to forget what it is that's happening, not having the mind sink into the object or become absorbed by the object, but noticing very clearly, moment to moment, what it is that's happening. Mindfulness is a very powerful factor of mind in that it has two very important functions on, on our path. First, it brings all the factors of enlightenment together. There are certain mental factors which all have to be ripened and matured for the moment of enlightenment to happen. Mindfulness brings all these factors. If we are mindful moment to moment, observing what it is that's happening, without <coughs> clinging, without condemning, without identifying with it, without taking it to be self, then all the other factors of enlightenment will also be present, will also be developed, all through the power of mindfulness. But it's also not sufficient to just have these factors of enlightenment present. They all have to be in balance. If there's too much of one, if there's too much concentration and not enough wisdom, the mind, the mind gets absorbed. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.